This week on the Veterinary Viewfinder, breaking news about a cat coronavirus treatment that may be used for COVID-19 in humans. You do not want to miss this conversation on the Veterinary Viewfinder. Welcome back to the Veterinary Viewfinder, the podcast that tackles the toughest topics in veterinary medicine. And this week, we're taking the coronavirus pandemic in a slightly different direction because we're going to talk about the important role that veterinarians are making when it comes to the treatment of COVID-19. And this week, we are so thrilled to bring you an exclusive interview with some people doing amazing research, and they may have a breakthrough for humans that actually came from cats. But before we get into all of that, as always, I am one of your co-hosts, Dr. Ernie Ward. And I'm registered veterinary technician, Becky Mosser. And Becky, we were approached by Anavive Life Sciences, which is a biotech company out in California a week or so ago. And they said, hey, guys, we are working on a treatment for COVID-19 in humans that was based on some research done in animals. And Becky, could I pick up the phone quickly enough? I don't, I was like, are you calling me about COVID? Well, I want to let them introduce themselves. Introduce the people from Anaviv. We've got Dr. Chad Dodd on the line. Chad, thank you so much for joining us. Tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, and who's on the other side of the phone. Yeah, so thanks, Becky. Thanks, uh, Dr. Ernie. Appreciate you having us on today. So um, Anavive Life Sciences, we got a really great group of folks that are really dedicated to helping go after uh, what we refer to as the unmet medical needs in the pet community. So we know there's a lot of opportunities around there to treat pets that we don't have currently approved treatments for today. Um, and it just happens that um, we've been dedicating our work in this space. And uh, one of the areas we've been focused on is what we can do to help treat cats that get FIP. So today, um, we're going to be spending some time talking with uh, Dylan Balls, who's our uh, founder, CEO of the company, uh, and also Dr. Dave Bruett, who you, I know you would know really well. Um, Dave is our chief medical officer, and I'm the chief commercial officer for the company. And uh, as I mentioned, you know, we're, we're really focused in on you know, helping address these things. And here we've got some great technology that's, uh, I think, going to be a nice springboard for things to come in the future. So um, I know you got a bunch of questions for us. I would love to, you know, we're going to take this dialogue and run with it. But uh, let's talk a little bit about COVID and what the, th- what the areas we're working on. Yeah, well, I'd like to, to have the first question. And Dave, don't worry, I'm going to get to you because I got tons of stuff. But I want to talk to Dylan first. I mean, Dylan, I, I'm familiar with Anavive, and I, I don't know that a lot of other veterinarians and veterinary technicians are. Maybe just explain a little bit about what you guys have been doing for the past several years. Yeah, no, they like kind of to reiterate, Chad, thanks for having us on. And you know, we started Anavive about, I think, almost four years ago now or so. And with the basic and kind of the core mission or thesis behind it is how can we use software to help bring novel pet therapeutics to market? And kind of what that means is you know, how can we accelerate them? How can we develop them cheaper and faster so we can get more of these unmet needs solved and bring more tools for veterinarians? And that, uh, that was when I met Dave about four years ago <laughs> or so. And we kind of slowly lured him away from BCA where he was at for um, it was, and there's kind of a funny story about that in terms of after he, him joining us, but when Dave introduced me to Chad around that time as well, and Chad's been awesome to work with. And that's where right. in the last year or so we've kind of 
unveiled the company a little bit more, right. starting with ACBIM uh, out in Arizona right. last year. That didn't happen. Got canceled on us this time around uh, due to COVID. But yeah, it's a really uh, it's been an exciting lot of work over the last four years, and hopefully 2021 will be our kind of most exciting year so far. And we're we have a couple products in the works uh, that we're targeting to launch, hopefully, if things go well. And, you know, Dylan, again, it's just us here. So Becky and I won't tell anybody. So if, you know, you wanted to kind of drop some hints of what you're doing, you know, we, we totally are down with that. I actually <laughs> already know. <laughs> I'm in the loop because these guys are working with a company that you you and I are familiar with and both work with called Base Pause. Base Pause. So when you say veterinarians, veterinary technicians are not as familiar with this company as they probably should be, that's like the biggest understatement, right? Yeah. Because really what you guys are doing is using technology to advance on diseases that really are, I mean, I'm going to say untouched right now, right? That we're really not getting in front of. Ignored. So that leads me to Dave. So many of you know Dr. Briette. I mean, he has been an extensive lecturer forever. Endocrinology extraordinary. I mean, golly, this guy, what haven't you done? The last time I actually was with you in the same room, you were showing me a brand new magnet that VCA had bought you. And then lo and behold, like a couple months later, you send me an email saying, yeah, I'm doing something different. So Dave, tell us how you wound up over here doing some pretty crazy research and development. <laughs> yeah, well, thanks, Ernie. Uh, it's uh, good to be with you guys. Yeah, I, you know, I was um, definitely, I had been with BCA for 20 years, had a wonderful relationship with them and, and still do. And as um, probably about four years ago, as Dylan was mentioning, when the company uh, was coming into existence, I got a random email uh, from a guy named Dylan Balls asking me what I knew about diabetes. <laughs> and I wrote back and I go, well, who the hell are you? I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't know this person. And, um, you know, I couldn't find him on the internet, which is a little bit concerning. Um, <laughs> so we, we talked and, and met and the, uh, he had been working with a group of Amgen scientists on an obesity treatment. And they were trying to recruit some obese dogs and they had a product and, that they were trying to advance on the human side. And it really led to like a much bigger discussion on, well, if this is what this company is doing, other companies are probably doing the same thing, trying to bring drugs to market. And there's some, there's some dog data. So, you know, I, I initially started out as a consultant and then as we've done many times, especially like with Chad, you get sucked into the antibody vortex. <laughs> and then I, jumped and came to Antivive full wow. time. Well, I, I couldn't be happier for you. Also, congratulations are in order. Your new internal medicine textbook is just out. So vet geeks, fellow book nerds, <laughs> definitely check it out. Oh, and what's the what's the really catchy title again? It's uh, Clinical Small Animal <laughs> Internal Medicine. <laughs> That is so catchy. That's wow. Right. I can just tell you. Yeah, I can see the billboards all across America. Very catchy. Yeah. Thank <laughs> all right. You. So yeah. let's yeah. fast forward a little bit. And I don't know which one of you guys wants to tackle this. Suddenly a global pandemic breaks out. It's one of our favorite veterinary viruses or viral families, the coronavirus. And you guys had been sort of stealthily working on a, a protease inhibitor for FIP, which is another coronavirus that we're all too familiar with. And suddenly somebody in your company says, whoa, you know, this just might attack the same targets that, you know, the human SARS-CoV-2. So how did that happen? Well, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a great question. And so Dylan, I kind of alluded to it in the beginning that you know, one of the ways that 
we think that we're we're trying to shape the industry is to use software. And so one of the things that half of our uh, employees actually work in the software development side of the business and developed a software and a set of algorithms called Antivive Select. And it's really a way for us and, and me as the chief medical officer to go into the data and say, look, here's an unmet need. In this case, it's FIP. And, you know, there's not a lot of, you know, anti-infective drugs on the market, certainly no antiviral drugs on the market. I did my residency with Niels Peterson. Did not know that. So, you know, getting FIP drummed into you for for three years kind of gets you thinking about it. Yeah. So we thought and said, well, look, this is a great unmet need. There's a lot of cats tend to get ignored uh, a lot of times in the pharmaceutical world because they're not really used as preclinical models for human drug development. So we started looking at at FIP, uh, found the compound using the software that, uh, as you said, is a protease inhibitor and coronaviruses and lots of other viruses use uh, proteases as part of how they replicate and reproduce. And so we said, well, that's you know interesting that if these drugs and a lot right. of these protease inhibitors right. have been developed for diseases like HIV and hepatitis in humans. And so we looked at a variety of different proteases and looked at some proteases that had uh, data that had been generated in rats and mice, but more importantly, found this compound where data was being generated, uh, not only in rats and mice, but also in cats. And we went ahead and and licensed that largely based on work that had been done uh, by Niels Peterson and his group at UC Davis and Dr. Kim and Dr. Chang uh, at uh, Kansas State. So as we brought that compound in and we're learning more about it, then um, just like everyone else in the world, the whole COVID thing uh, came to fruition. And we sort of went back and looked at some of the data that had been generated uh, previously. And one of the things that's unique with the compound that we're developing is that it's a pan-coronavirus inhibitor. So the main protease that's involved with FIP is also the main protease that's involved with almost every human and animal coronavirus. The 3CL Pro, right? Yeah. The, exactly right. The 3CL Pro. Yeah. And so when we went back and looked at it, we said, well, where does this protease exist and how active is this drug against these various proteases? And it's, it does inhibit the, the 3CL Pro, like I said, in both human and animals, including the original SARS and MERS coronaviruses uh, that came out. And so then the next sort of steps were, well, if we have a potential compound that could be helpful for humans to treat this, we kind of need to run with this and see how far we can go. So we looked at uh, and were able to work with some colleagues on looking at the 3CL Pro in SARS-CoV-2, the causative agent of COVID-19 and demonstrated that it was highly active against that protease. So if you can demonstrate in, in vitro that it's active against the main enzyme responsible for replication, then the next step is to take that virus and look at, well, does your drug inhibit the growth of the virus itself, not just the protease? And so we've looked at uh, cell cultures where we're growing SARS-CoV-2 and showed that it's a very potent inhibitor of viral replication. and the results with protease activity and antiviral activity are very similar to results that had been published for remdesivir, which obviously gets a lot of press in the COVID-19 
and is in, uh, you know, is becoming more and more uh, considered as part of standard of care. The nice thing about the protease inhibitors is that there's a different mechanism of action than drugs like remdesivir, which are polymerase inhibitors and not protease inhibitors. And if you look at the history of HIV treatment and hepatitis treatments in humans, you see that very frequently you combine these together. Yes. yes. Um, you mechanism with different mechanisms of action. And there's a bunch of reasons why that might be helpful. So we demonstrated it's pan coronavirus in terms of 3CL Pro. It inhibits viral replication with respect to SARS-CoV-2 in vitro. And most recently now, what we've done a couple of things. One is that we're starting to look at animal models, um, spont- you know, animals that get infected with SARS-CoV-2 and develop signs of pneumonia. And there's a couple of animal models that are being looked at uh, most extensively now. One's a hamster model and one's a ferret model. And so we're looking to see, does the drug do the same things inside uh, a ferret and a hamster that it does inside a cell culture? I guess one thing that appeals to me, like when you're you're talking about all this, it occurs to me, like, what kind of time are we talking here? How long does it take to grow a virus? How long does it take to do this kind of research? And I mean, are you just talking like, oh, yeah, we spent last week in the lab, you know, day one, we (laughs) grew it, day two, we tried it, day three, you know, are we talking Sounds pretty good, Dylan, right? (laughs) Are we talking years or like, what does that really look like? Well, I think in the world of COVID-19, things are more accelerated than they have been historically. So from the time that we started looking at protease activity to getting into cell culture and getting into animal models um, has been in a period of about three months. And as we've been doing that kind of work, you know, we also have in parallel our feline drug, the the FIP initiative, which is the same molecule. And so one of the things that as a company and Dylan's been very aligned with with the group on this is that we want to advance this, you know, we're a vet company. We want to advance this and make sure that GC376, um, we develop that and take that as far towards an approval and get it uh, to the veterinary market while we're doing this simultaneously. And so one of the things that is actually uh, kind of a one health in reverse is that the work we're doing on the human side is actually helping us accelerate the work on the cat side because and i think one of the things that a lot of people don't understand about pharmaceutical development is on the veterinary side it's not the biggest thing you know the biggest thing that derails a drug on the veterinary side is the manufacturing right. issues like yeah. how difficult is it to make? How much does it cost to make? Can you mass produce it? Is it stable? Um, and that's the biggest hurdle that that we have um, for getting veterinary drugs approved. Because we're able to work on both a human indication and a veterinary indication, and because we need to manufacture and get drug ready to get into upcoming human trials, which I'll, I'll talk about in a little bit, it actually is accelerating our manufacturing capabilities and the manufacturing scheme that we're going to use to develop GC376 for cats. So, you know, hopefully what we'll see is as we advance down the human pathway, we're only accelerating the feline pathway. And we don't want this to be something where folks think, oh, you know, they found this uh, key to human COVID-19. That means that something's going to get derailed on the feline side, that is not 
uh, what we're about. You know, we're a vet company first, and we this is a drug that's very important to veterinarians, and I think very important, obviously, to pet owners. And so we're committed to to that as well. On that note, too, um, you know, to Dave's point of us being focused on bringing this to market for cats, and then obviously seeing how it can help humans. There's also other forms of the compound that we've begun to look at in test as well that you know would be slightly different from a cat product and then also potentially be more effective against COVID-19 in particular. Um, and so, so far, our, our uh, coronavirus drug against, I mean, how many did they say they originally tested in, like, almost a thousand compounds against FIP and uh, coronavirus? And this particular compound was by far the most yeah, it's, it's a very unique, in terms of protease inhibitors, it's very unique because, again, it has the ability, and we think it, there's a lot of reasons for this, but we think because of the size and the charge and the three-dimensional shape, it's able to really fit into that pocket and interfere with the 3CL uh, protease more so than a lot of other drugs that are being uh, trying to be advanced and looked at on the human side. So the, the other thing that's that's happening and that triggered, I think, some of the, you know, the inquiries we're getting into Antivive is that we have filed um, what's called a pre-IND, which is an investigational new drug um, application with the FDA um, to move towards a human clinical trial. So it's a stepwise process where you file an intent with the FDA that you have this molecule, you have this compound. Um, this is the rationale for why you're developing this compound for use in a given disease. This is how you're manufacturing this compound. And that your ultimate goal is to get into humans for two reasons. One, to show that it's safe. And secondly, to then move into treating patients with COVID-19. So we've started uh, the pre-IND process. We filed all our paperwork with the FDA. Uh, we're waiting to hear back their thoughts on what steps we may have to do next in terms of uh, any additional animal testing uh, that may be required before we move into a human trial. But we've been working with groups in the US and a group in Canada to start to lay the groundwork for how we're gonna move this into human studies and what that would look like and what those timeframes would look like. Yeah, have you had any like pushback <laughs> like when you start to say, we'd like to do human trials. Okay, who are you? Uh, we make cat drugs. <laughs> Well, I, you know, I, I think the a couple of things, you know, you would think that that would be the case. I think that one that has been happening is that the FDA and the folks that we deal with on the human regulatory side have been nothing but encouraging because one of the things that you'll see um, in, you know, in the lay press and that's talked about in the current literature is that there's very few antivirals that are being advanced to treat COVID-19. A lot of what you see are drugs that modulate uh, the inflammatory reaction to the virus, but there's not a lot of activity on antivirals because there weren't a lot of antivirals on the market and there weren't a lot of antivirals or there were no antivirals that were coronavirus specific. And so I think a lot of interest in GC376 circles and centers around the fact that it is an antiviral specific for a coronavirus and that this coronavirus that it's effective against happens to be not only FIP, but also SARS-CoV-2. Obviously when we move into human trials, you know, we'll be working with groups um, that will be overseeing those trials and um, 
working with the human patients and going through the enrollment. So Dylan, that's what I wanted to ask you about. So like, obviously I have a pretty good idea. Uh, I know how animal trials work on the veterinary pharmaceutical side, but I have no experience or exposure to human drug trials. Yeah. Like, are you getting a lot of assistance from the FDA? I mean, like, how does that even happen? Is it millions and millions of dollars? Like, I mean, I, I guess what I'm asking is, okay, you haven't done them before. Are you being fast-tracked yeah. to, to help this, you know? Well, I think, yeah, I think a couple things that have helped fast-track it on our side in terms of urgency and then why this also helps the cat, you know, feline coronavirus product is we make all of our therapeutics that go through FDA approval in human manufacturing facilities. So we partner with third party manufacturers and that's what's also helped this kind of, you know, crossover from being quote unquote a cat drug to a human drug. On the FDA side, one of the first things we have to do is basically pull together what they call pre-IND submission. And we've pulled that together. I think David went in about a week ago and essentially we're in kind of a holding pattern right now where the FDA will get back to us within a couple of weeks with what the concrete next steps look like. And to answer your question, it is millions of dollars to run a human study. And one of the things that we've been partnering with the group out of Canada on and a few others is applying for grant funding to help offset that. And we've been uh, lucky enough, you know, so some of our board members and larger investors you know, have gotten over 30 drugs approved uh, through the human approval process. And, so they've been helping kind of provide contacts and advice on, on that avenue. And I think that's what, you know, we'll see where this kind of goes from, you know, finding a partner if it were to, if, if essentially if the program has legs on the human side and keeping the feline product coming to market and on track. And that was you know, one of the things we're always kind of fighting for and what derails veterinary products is the manufacturing process, or sometimes you'll hear the word CMC. And the, the nice thing about this is this has helped us as a small company get the attention of these large manufacturers where they're going, oh, you know, we could move this into production. It's going to take a year to get these, you know, this product manufactured. Now, all of a sudden, it could be applicable to humans. And they're going, we could start on this next week. You know, it helps, <laughs> helps the cat drug jump to the front of the right. line. So that's been a huge unexpected plus, I'd say, on that side. So, you know, m my mom, um, number one fan of the show, uh, has been in clinical research for a really long time now. Like, I'm not going to say it because I don't date her. She started when she was 12. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I know kind of what that looks like. And I don't know how to ask this question without sounding like really super morbid. But like, are is there, oh gosh, sounds so bad. Is there any concern COVID's going to go away before you can test humans? Because like, I know you need sick people to test drugs. And like, we know it's not going away, going away. But like, is there a concern? Do you yeah. have a concern for finding the ways to do this trial? And will you guys oversee that? Or does that get like sourced out? That's a good question. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll take the first part and then let you answer that, Dave. But I think from the way we're looking at this, an important point, is that our compound is a pan-coronavirus inhibitor. And so it's applicable, like Dave said, to the original SARS and MERS. If you look over the last you know, 16 years or two decades, there's been a coronavirus outbreak in humans on average every four to six years or so. And so this, you know, I think a lot of researchers think that this is going to become a recurring uh, you know, event or something that World Health has to kind of deal with. And so, you know, if 
COVID-19 going away tomorrow, that's when I think a lot of the interest comes yeah. in due to that pan-coronavirus, you know, activity and the put the application of that. And but in, in terms of the the studies and how running that, uh, you know, Dave, if you want to kind of share that process. Yeah, I mean, in terms of going into the the human trials, there are uh, large organizations and small organizations who that is their job is to conduct human clinical trials. So they do that under the auspice of the FDA. Um, they have their own internal uh, medical and ethical reviews. They work with the hospitals or the clinics where these studies are going to be done. And you're basically going with your molecule and they put you into their into their system to do these phase one and uh, phase two studies. And I think uh, also to what Dylan was saying is, and to your earlier question, I think, you know, we're all hoping that this rapidly disappears, but I think that what everyone is looking for in the future is to be able to bank three or four antiviral drugs with different mechanisms of action to deal with SARS-CoV-3 and SARS-CoV-4 and whatever other coronaviruses, um, you know, start to come forward. And um, I think that will have huge value because where we don't want to be is to be behind the ball where you're starting at ground zero every time a new virus, um, you know, tries to come out. And we've learned so much about uh, coronaviruses and just since December of this year, and that knowledge is going to continue to grow. And our repository of, of therapeutics and obviously vaccines as well, all of those things will come into play. So I think that. Um, it's really looking towards the future of being concerned about is SARS-CoV-2 just going to hang out and live in the environment for a while, kind of like influenza, or is it going to be something that will disappear but then come back um, as a different variation of a coronavirus? So quick question for Chad. Chad, I mean, you're a, a fellow regular veterinarian like me, <laughs> and suddenly you're thrust, you know, you're working on cool dog lymphoma products and FIP and some other really cool stuff. But suddenly now you're thrust into the world of human pandemic, like a human contagious disease. How's that adjustment been? You know, I mean, I, I'm just curious what it's like working over at Anaviv right now You know, when we're a vet and suddenly it's like, oh yeah, let's talk about people that are sick and, and maybe dying. Yeah. So I think one of the things that, and Dylan pointed this out, you know, we, we are focused on delivering solutions in the animal health space. Um, It just happens that, you know, we understand this as scientists and as veterinarians, right? They teach us this in veterinary colleges all day long, that you're going to treat multiple species. So you need to understand disease across multiple species. Well, they obviously, we don't learn human medicine, but we see the application. Um, And I think as you know, what we're focused on really is what we can continue down this path. Of course, you know, we are doing everything in our means to advance this molecule and other molecules to help go after this disease. But when it comes to the commercial side, you know, we really are looking at how does this advance and then, you know, what does it take to get to the next level? So, you know, for us as you know, uh, the team has really, you know, been focused on for many years now, focused on how do we continue to repurpose um, thinking that says, okay, I understand how these things work, but how do we now focus and dive into understanding the specific application that's going to help the veterinary space? Um, and Dylan mentioned, you know, Anavive Select as a, as a software platform and a tool. Right. 
Um, and it's interesting because, you know, we do spend a lot of time looking at things sort of pan species, meaning, you know, there's a lot of work, a lot of development work that's done for people that the dog becomes the model. Uh, as Dave was talking about some of the new models where they're looking at ferrets and hamsters uh, for SARS-CoV-2, you know, there's there's applications in the veterinary space where these things are important. But, you know, we we are, you know, we are committed to this. And, you know, for us, it's, yeah, it's a shift a little bit, but you know, when things like this happen, uh, it's it's not very often that you're going to have a group of people that are looking at this and putting the tools and resources in place to really make sure that you know we are advancing this. Because there's organizations, there's lots of organizations trying to you know solve these problems. Um, it just happens that you know we were down the path already because of what we've put in place. Um, and we think that that's going to continue to be the case and the application is going to be really important for a number of diseases going forward. Well, I love that. So Dylan, as we kind of start to come to the end of today's discussion, we could go on and on, but we also know that our listeners are driving somewhere and they're probably getting close to their destination. But I do want to ask you this, like there are tons and tons of human pharmaceutical companies that have an animal pharmaceutical division, right? the mercs of the world, if you will. And you know, they get a lot of the attention in the press and so forth. This, mm-hmm. though, is squarely an animal pharmaceutical company without a human yeah. you know, angle to it. You don't have a division of, of you know, communicable diseases. Let me ask you this. From an investor's standpoint, from Wall Street, you know, from CNBC, yeah. what's the reception been like? You know, because you know where I'm headed with this story. This is a brilliant story. But are you being met like, you know, is this like a curiosity or is it like, holy smokes, have we been missing out all this time? Should we be investing more in these veterinary pharmaceutical companies? Yeah, no, I think it's uh, I mean, it's a good I think one of the other core differences between us and not being attached or you know, part of a human pharmaceutical company is that we're solely focused on companion animals. And right. so and, and for us, that's dog and cats. And that's where our kind of heart is. That's where our software platforms have been built around. You know, our gene homology database that Chad kind of alluded to, all of that is 100% focused on the dog and cat space. And I think it's, uh, you know, by and large, when you look at those other companies, a lot of the growth that they see in their animal division is actually stemming out of the pet side of the business. And so we've decided to kind of go all in on that. And, you know, we've had from, a, of course, it's been an incredibly tough journey. We've had setbacks and so forth where we thought we'd have an approval quicker and and we didn't and things like that that we've worked through but we've been lucky that we've had an awesome group of investors supporting us and over the last uh, couple of years we've raised close to about 30 million dollars to invest towards our efforts here and from the software side to the drug development and really for us kind of the next mountain is this commercialization effort that Chad's going to be spearheading and bringing these you know, unique uh, therapeutics to market for these unmet needs. And so it's, uh, but it is, it's a lot of work. Yeah, we're working from 7 a.m. to 10 p.m. every day. So, yeah. but it's, it's been awesome to get the support that we've, you know, we've been able to receive. Well, it was no surprise to me when I saw this uh, press release uh, come my way. Chad, thanks again for getting in touch with us. But uh, Dave, you have been relentless in your pursuit of helping pets live longer, more meaningful lives. Uh, and I got to tell you, when I saw your name, I was like, well, of course, of course, Dave Bruyette's going to save the planet, right? <laughs> and I love that story. I love that a veterinarian is right at the core of solving this generation, maybe 
biggest challenge of all time. So just as in sort of parting last words, talk to, you know, some of those young veterinarians and veterinary technicians out there who are just now opening their eyes to the possibility, wow, I could actually develop a human drug that saves the planet. <laughs> Maybe give them a little word of wisdom about how they could pursue alternatives to just regular old clinical practice. Well, thanks, Ernie. I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think one of the great things about the veterinary profession and being a veterinarian is that there's limitless opportunities for what you can do. And I certainly would not have envisioned that this is the path that I would have had when I came out of vet school um, in 1984. But it's because I'm a veterinarian that I was able to be able to do a lot of these different things because we're able, as Chad mentioned, you know, we have an understanding of diseases across species. This is not a new thing for us. Um, the whole coronavirus thing was not new to veterinarians because we all learned about coronaviruses and how difficult they are to control. And so it's sort of a it's a sort of a perfect storm, you know, where something like this comes up on the human side, where veterinarians are in a unique position to be able to, you know, to step in and go, well, you know, this is something we have some expertise in. And, this is something where we may be able to help. And, you know, we're definitely going to advance GC376 as far as we can down the human path, and hopefully it'll be impactful. But again, our, you know, our goal is also to, to get this out there and treat some cats with FIP and make Niels Peterson a happy guy. <laughs> well, you guys have brought us a lot of information about the stuff you guys are working on, which is, you know, important today, but it's going to be important tomorrow, next year, in the next 10 years. And, I think that's a really fascinating part. So if you guys haven't already, go make sure you check them out. Where can people find out more about you guys and what you're up to? Yeah, you can go to anivive.com. That's A-N-I-V-I-V-E.com. Um, and we are posting updates on the status of our programs. Um, you know, we try to give as much information as we can just so that people are informed. Um, and you'll see, you know, the areas that we're developing now. And as things advance, you'll continue to see new things show up on that website so um, yeah please encourage folks to take a look at antivive.com and um, if you have some ideas on things you think we should be addressing reach out to us it's a small veterinary community so um, if you have some ideas we'd love to hear it really is well guys thank you so much for sharing some of this amazing story today with our listeners viewfinders definitely go check out antivive a-N-I-V-I-V-E.com. We'll leave links down in the show notes. But definitely, if this is sort of your passion and you think, wow, you know what? I could solve the next pandemic. Get in touch with them because we need you. And we also need you to share this podcast with a friend. Give us a review on iTunes. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook. Becky, what else could we use some help with? You can find us on all the things <laughs> and you can find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Make sure if you get a chance to head over to Apple iTunes, Leave us uh, a few words of uh, what you think about the show, what you want to hear, and leave us five stars. Until next time, everybody, stay safe out there. Give your pets a hug. Bye. Bye. Thanks, Ernie. Bye-bye. <laughs> Thanks. And we have other exciting things in our pipeline that will be very relevant to the veterinary community as we get close to commercialization. So would love to circle back with you guys and have some more conversations like this.